Greetings, friends in Christ. Chameleons. Chameleons are an amazing species of lizard. They can adapt their appearance in all kinds of ways to match their surroundings, to match what's behind them, um, to stay camouflaged and invisible to predators that might harm them, to keep them safe. Christians often live like spiritual chameleons, right? Imitating the world around us so that we stay camouflaged and invisible and safe from spiritual predators that might criticize us or even harm us. So we can tell if we are spiritual chameleons. We can tell if we are spiritual chameleons when the unbelievers that uh, are spending time with us all of a sudden are shocked to discover that we're actually Christians. So now maybe we are just, you know, very uh, culturally, very contemporary. But more than likely, we've compromised. More than likely, there's some kind of compromise in our life between the ways of the world and the new ways this new person God has made us to be. Now, it might be that we are consciously trying to copy someone else, like a popular friend or a successful colleague or some sort of exciting celebrity. But it's more than likely in our lives that we are being subconsciously influenced right? By the world around us, by our, our home background, by our upbringing, by, um, by our educational experience, right? Our, our friends and teachers at school or the things we learn, or by, by just the society and culture that surrounds us, by the media that saturates our world. Um, in, in so many ways, more than likely, we are being subconsciously influenced to look like the world around us. And so it might mean that we have a, a, a spiritually damaging fixation with um, salary and status because of our ambitious parents. Or, or we, um, we, we have this kind of harmful tendency to, to approve of any ungodly religious opinion because this culture around us insists so much on tolerance and not being judgmental. Or maybe we are, we're unhappily single or, or unhappily married, and so we might surrender to self-pity um, and indulge our appetites for fantasy because, because of the lies of the media that, that tell us or that basically say that we're all entitled to sexual pleasure and whatever we want to do. You see, there's so many ways that the world we live in, the world we grow up in, the, the world that surrounds us, can influence us to start looking like it. And, and we're happy to do that because it kind of just hides us and, and keeps us safe. Um, more dangerously, more dangerously, we live as spiritual uh, chameleons without even noticing that we're blending in to worldly morality. Which means that we're like those frogs in science class that can be put in an open saucepan and slowly boiled to death without ever recognizing a change severe enough to make them want to jump out. 
So, the Apostle Paul challenges all of us. Stop copying the world like chameleons and start imitating God. Verse 17 from our text says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He not only tells us this, he insists on it in the Lord. The way that we live begins with how we think. The way that we live begins with, begins with how we think. If God is going to change the way we live, God is going to first have to change the way that we think. And this transformation occurs when God speaks to us in his word and reorders our thinking, which then um, readjusts or adjusts our attitudes, which then realigns our wills and finally ultimately changes our behavior. And where, where we see the word of, where the word of God is being carefully taught and applied, transformation is happening in people's thinking, in their attitudes, in their affections, in their wills, and even in their behavior. As the Holy Spirit is instructing us, we stop thinking like the world around us. As we continue to be instructed by the Holy Spirit, we will stop thinking like the world around us thinks. Again, verse 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So as members of the body of Christ who died and rose again for us to make us part of his body, we must no longer live like unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. Another word for that would be emptiness. In the emptiness of their thinking. Where do you think the word airheads came from? There's nothing in there. That thinking is empty as if there's not a brain in the head that would produce such a thought. It's empty thinking. The, the, the thinking of unbelief is just is absolutely empty. There, there's nothing of substance. There's nothing valid there. Um, empty worship of Idols and superstitions that don't exist. Empty platitudes. Well, you know, my dead atheist uncle, he's, um, he's happily looking down on us now. He's in a better place. That's empty. That is an empty platitude or empty beliefs that, well, God, whoever God is, will, he'll weigh my good points with my bad points and he'll welcome me in someday. That's empty. There's nothing there behind that. There's no truth behind that. So, question, why are people so comfortable with such empty thinking? Because, verse 18, because they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Empty thinking comes from darkened understanding because people are spiritually blind. People... Um, have hardened their hearts against God, consciously refused to even consider changing their mind. And hardened hearts leads to ignorance about God, which leads to darkened spiritual understanding, which leads to evil behavior. Evil behavior like this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more. So how do the how do things how have things gotten so out of hand today? 
in, in our world. That, that just, you know, that people's lives get destroyed, that marriages get destroyed, that children get hurt. And it's, it's because of this, it's because having lost all sensitivity, um, you can't feel anything anymore, it's calloused. There's no feeling there anymore. Having lost all sensitivity to God, people surrender themselves to three things, sensuality, impurity, and greed, which is the continual lust for more and more and more and more. We get in all that. We're just going to keep going today. I think you know what this is talking about. Um, immorality in all of its ugliness is not just harmless fun. It's not just a way to spice up your marriage, as the media would have us believe it is. It dissolves trust. It, it ruins relationships and friendships and, and value intrinsic worth and value that God has given us, it, it corrodes our own soul, which ultimately leads to selfishness, ultimate selfishness. Sin, sin is a prison cell. But before God brought us to faith in Christ, we were, we were captive, we were enslaved and, and captive to sin. Um, hostages of Satan um, awaiting a, a death sentence under God's law I imprisoned in our stinking cells maybe being able to gaze out the window wondering what life out there in the light would be like but we couldn't go anywhere we were, we were imprisoned in darkness and dirt unaware of how dirty we had become okay but on the cross on the cross, Jesus paid the ransom price that set us free from that. On the cross, in the empty tomb, Jesus paid the price that opened the door of that cell for us. And he brought us out into the bright sunshine. So now we stand out there blinking in amazement, just beginning to realize how filthy we had become. And just beginning to realize how beautiful life in the light could really be. And now we, we want to live like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And yet in, the, in our darker moments, you know, when we've had too much drink, too much self-pity, too much bad company, we sometimes go and we crawl back into that old cell of ours and we curl up in the filth of sensuality, impurity and greed but, but but since god has made us new people now uh, we find it actually we find it to be unbearably miserable but here's the difference the door of our cell is still open see the blood of jesus christ not only paid us to free us from that prison cell but to keep us free and so the door is still open. And so Jesus repeatedly sends people back into that cell to drag us back out into the light. And sometimes we go willingly and other times maybe grudgingly. But he brings us back out into the light, even if we come reluctantly. And one day he's going to return to transform us forever. And he's going to close that door behind us for good. And we're never going to return to the filth again. So friends, 
Can you see how good life in the light can be? And, and that, that door of that cell that we were once imprisoned in has been open for us forever? Or are we going to go living like the Gentiles do? Go crawling back into that cell again and again. Um, let's thank Jesus. Let's thank Jesus for leaving that door open for us even after we've crawled back into the filth. Let's confess our failures to him and, and, and seek forgiveness from him. So Paul has told us now how to stop blending in like chameleons. Now he's going to tell us how we can be, how we can start living as Christians. Verses 20 and 21. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were, there we go, that's enough. 20 and 21. All right? When God brought you to faith in Christ, it changed everything. You were now given a whole new life to live in order to thank him. You were saved through a person, through a true person. You were saved through Jesus, who also then showed you this whole new life, how to live, how you could live in thanks and honor to God. And so we've been shown how to live by him. And you come to know that truth through the word, through his word. Learning holiness from Jesus is like changing clothes. Right? That, that's really the overarching picture in our text. Learning, learning this new holy life from Jesus who rescued us from the filth of our prison is like changing clothes. Um, so when you teach your children how to change your clothes, this is, this is, we'll just keep it in the generalities. This is what you have to teach them. Number, number one, you have to take your dirty clothes off, right? The dirty clothes, the sweaty clothes, those have to come off and into the laundry. Then you get clean. That might involve washing or a shower or something, but you get clean. Then you put the new clean clothes on. Simple, right? This is what we do every day. This is what we teach our children to do. And learning to live like Jesus is like changing clothes. Get rid of the dirty clothes, become clean, put the new clothes on. So with that in mind, look at verses 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, we must first learn how to undress ourselves. What does it mean to undress ourselves? What does it mean to get rid of the old clothes? Well, that is to consciously put aside a lifestyle that is being corrupted by deceitful desires. So any, any kind of lifestyle that, that maybe we, you know, kind of adapted and as a chameleon or kind of, you know, blended into, any kind of lifestyle that is being corrupted by deceitful desires, that are the, the old sinful desires of our sinful nature that are trying to deceive us. Did you get that word in there? Our old desires try to deceive us. They aren't honest with us. Okay, our, our, deceit, our old desires, they, uh, they promise us all kinds of satisfaction. Oh, if you just follow this kind of life, you're going to have all of this. They promise us all kinds of wonderful happiness and satisfaction, but they all end up imprisoning us in misery. They're lies. It's deceitful. 
Satan, Satan has all kinds of bogus reasons to try to get us to sin. Just in, in very general terms. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's profitable. Um, it's uh, fashionable. Everybody's doing it. No one will get hurt. It's just you receiving some play. He has all kinds of bogus, lying reasons to try to get us to sin. But those desires, those desires come from our old nature, from our old sinful nature. And, and those old desires are, they aren't our friends. They're like our, they're like our prison guards. They're like our executioners that are trying to mislead us with lies. Get rid of that kind of lifestyle. Anything that is leading you down uh, the path of the wicked, get rid of it. It's lying to you. The next thing is to, we get clean. We, we, be, we, we be made new in the attitudes of our minds. Okay? We can't just get rid of the old desires. We have to replace the filthy desires with new clean desires. So it's not just um, making it a point to maybe no longer be covetous or, or jealous about that partner or that, that job that, that we don't have but adopting an attitude of gratefulness to God for the partner or the, the job or the, the, the thing that he, that he has blessed us with. So getting rid of old desires, but putting on new ones. And we need to be clean, and the word makes us clean. Didn't Jesus tell that to the disciples? My words, my words will make you clean. The word makes us clean, but because it introduces and it keeps us connected to Jesus who made us clean with his life, death, and resurrection. So the word makes us clean and then gives us new desires. And then finally, we put on the new clothes. So I want you to understand this. God gives us Jesus' holiness the moment he brings us to faith in Jesus. So God sees you already as holy. But now as we live the Christian life and put on that clothes Jesus has given us to wear, we grow in a life of actually living out that holiness in our lives. Imagine that you have been invited to a, a fancy wedding banquet. And it is a super uh, fancy upscale wedding event, but you can't afford to buy the suit or even to rent the suit that would be appropriate for such, a, such an occasion. So what are you going to do? Well, you have, a, you, have a, you have a kind of a wealthy, very generous friend, and so you ask him to borrow. And so this, you, you are able to borrow a fancy, expensive suit from your very generous friend. Now, imagine that he tells you that you can keep the suit. You can wear it as your own. In a sense, that's what God has done for you and me. Okay? God gave us the robe of righteousness. God has clothed us in Christ's righteousness, which qualifies us for heaven. And it wasn't cheap for God. It was extremely expensive for God to do this for us. He had to swap places with us. He had to sacrifice his own son to pay the, the cost for us so that we could have access into the banquet of heaven so that we could have access into that wonderful event, that wonderful presence of God. Now, if you got that suit, you wouldn't take that suit and put it right over your, your dirty jeans and your, and your sweaty t-shirt now, would you? Because that would kind of diminish the value of that nice suit that you're going to wear to the wedding. Of course not. You take your jeans and your sweaty t-shirt off first. You get clean, right? Then you put the new suit on. Now, when God brings us to faith in Jesus, he accepts us permanently in Christ's righteousness. 
So he, he gives us Jesus' holiness, and, and once he's done that, we, he sees us as perfect like Jesus is. But that doesn't mean that he wants us to go on sinning as if nothing ever happened, right? To go on living in our old ways of life as if that had never happened. I mean, that would really diminish the value of what he had done for us, wouldn't it? That would, if we, if we just go on sinning, that would diminish the seriousness of sin that he saved us from when we were imprisoned by. That would, it would diminish the, the cost of what he did to make us free from that. So that doesn't make sense. We are saved completely by his holiness, not by anything we do, but we are saved for a life of living out that holiness in a way to honor him, in a way to glorify him, in a way to enjoy. So, so the message here is take off the, your old clothes and wear the holy clothes of Christ. Take off your old clothes, the clothes of your sinful nature, and wear the holy clothes of Christ. There, uh, there used to be a TV show called What Not to Wear. People um, dressing badly would be brought in, wearing things they should not wear. And they were given, I understand, they were given a bit of a budget, and they were taught to dress in better ways. So, more or less a silly show, a shallow show, right? But spiritually speaking, this is exactly what we need to be doing, okay? Spiritually speaking, there are things that we should not wear. There are things that do not look good with this new person that God made us in. And then there are things that we should be wearing, and that is the holy clothes of Jesus. So now the rest of this text, 25 to the end, is going to show us what it looks like to put on the holy clothes of Christ. It's going to show us what it looks like when we are dressed in the righteousness that Christ has clothed us with and, and what it looks like to live that out in our lives. So verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the first thing is speaking truth instead of falsehood. Let's be honest with each other because we are members of one body. Think about it. If we're members of one body, if your eye were to lie to your foot about how solid the ground was in front of you, uh, what, was gonna, what, what would happen, right? You'd end up getting hurt. So your, your, your eye doesn't, as a, as a normal habit, right, lie to your foot about the solidness of the ground in front of you. They want to be working together on that one because otherwise the eye is going to pay just as much as the foot is going to pay. So being dishonest with one another doesn't make sense, does it? Being dishonest with one another only harms ourselves because we are part of one body. So no more gossiping, no more exaggerating, no more lying, no more leaving out truth that could kill. Speaking truth instead of falsehood. Next one, 26. 26 says, in, uh, sorry, here we go. No, I'm at 20, 26, there it goes. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In your anger, do not sin. Well, it, more carefully there, it says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. It's an imperative word in the Greek. Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. That's what it actually says. Be angry about things that you should be angry about. Righteous anger is commanded. It's not just permitted. When circumstances arise that call for anger, 
Let it be Christ's anger. Okay, be angry, but, but just don't sin while you're being angry. So there are good examples, good reasons for being angry, and then there are bad reasons for being angry. Some good examples, some good reasons for being angry. Uh, your child is being disobedient. Or someone is harming a child. Or um, someone is persecuting Christians. Good reasons to be angry. Bad reasons, bad examples for anger. Um, someone cut you off. You're having a bad hair day. You didn't get your way. You didn't get your parking spot. So there are good reasons for anger. Basically, if we could just really be really general, anything that would dishonor God or harm people. And there are bad reasons for anger. Basically, anything where you don't get your way or any kind of anger that would lead to hatred or revenge. So be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And then it says, it adds another one there, a nice little, very practical and helpful. Um, um, it says, to put your anger away before sunset. Put your anger away before sunset. Now, in the Jewish calendar, sunset was the end of the day. So, so the thought there is, put your anger away before the end of the day because whoever it is that you're there with, that you're angry with, you might never see them again. So as you're saying farewell to them at the end of the day, don't, don't, don't let them leave with anger. You may never see them again. You, this may be last farewell. Um, another reason, physiologically, um, this is what your brain is doing while you sleep at night. It's taking the thoughts on your head and heart and it's depositing them into long-term memory. So you're going to hold on to that anger forever. So very wisely, God tells us, put your anger away before sunset. Verse 27 Verse 27 says, and do not give the devil a foothold. More clearly, don't open the door for the devil. It's closed, so don't open the door for the devil. Don't, don't crack it open so he can put his foot in there and have access into your life and into your house. Don't open the door. Um, holding on to anger overnight would be a good way to open the door for the devil, wouldn't it? leads to all other kinds of things. We, I can't even, we could just go all day on this one right here. I, I can't tell you how important it is for us, friends, that we do not open the door for the devil, that we do not walk out that door today and go um, engage in, in living, in speaking, in things that would fill our minds, that would fill our lives, that would occupy our time, that would kind of open the door for the devil to have a go at us. Christ has defeated the devil. He's closed that door for us. And this is nothing we have to fear or worry about because the one who we are with is more powerful than, than the devil. But don't go cracking that door open for him. Because he loves to get that opportunity. He loves to get in our lives and make all kinds of a mess with them. So let's not give the devil a foothold. Getting rid of anger is one way. All of these things that we're talking about are other ways that we can make sure that door stays shut. Verse 28, verse 28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So do honest work instead of stealing. No more borrowing supplies from work. Borrowing supplies from work. No more overcharging clients. No more um, falsely claiming expenses and, and all the other ways that you steal when you're not actually holding a gun in your hand and robbing the convenience store, okay? But instead, 
work, um, be, work honestly and be profitable instead. So not for selfish gain, but so that you have more to give. Do you, do you see how what, what God is looking for in our life just kind of flips over like the opposite way of, you know, kind of the old desires? So in other words, um, be, work hard, work honestly, all right? We, we earn to give instead of stealing to gain. Right? The, the ways of the world says steal to gain. God says, no, no, no. Earn, like work hard and honestly, not so you have stuff for yourselves, but so you can give. Earn to give instead of stealing to gain. Verse 29. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Then it may benefit those who listen. Build others up with our words. That word unwholesome means rotten. Get rid of that rotten talk. Vulgar jokes. Damaging gossip. Spiteful sort of criticism. Stuff tears down. Incidentally, this whole chapter, what Jesus is doing, if you want to remember the context a little bit, is he's preparing us and equipping us to build people up, to build the church up. He's preparing us and equipping us to serve one another with our words, not tear each other down. So the way we talk to each other is huge. The way we talk, the way we use our words is huge. It's powerful. And, and we so often get ourselves in trouble on this. So let's build each other up for our words. Let's be thinking about that first. That's what it looks like to wear the holy clothes of Christ. Verse 30. Verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So no more grieving the Holy Spirit. Believers grieve the Holy Spirit by not living as the new people he is making us to be. Don't get your new clothes filthy. Let's live like the new people that he is creating us to be. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's not make his job harder than it already is. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So malice is the overarching idea there. So no more malice. Bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, and slander, they don't go very well with our new wardrobe. Those are things what not to wear. Bitterness, when, you, when you're dealing with bitterness over how someone has hurt you, leads to anger and raging and then brawling. Now, brawling, the word for brawling there in the Greek is, uh, it's actually clamor or shouting. So picture like a, just a, a big clamor of, of noise from a group of people who are so angry that it's leading them to shout. So there's, there's noise, it's loud. That's, that's the word brawling. So what brawling or clamor or shouting is, it's really the outward manifestation of anger. It's what happens when anger stops being bottled up and gets outside and just is ultimately ugly. And if you want to see the ultimate ugly, just kind of view of what anger looks like, 680 News had a story this week. It happened last Saturday at a Costco parking lot in Mississauga. Yeah, some of you saw it. Two families in an all-out fistfight brawl, men pushing women over in the concrete asphalt parking lot, uh, screaming at each other, fists flying, children screaming, babies in car seats crying. It is about the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And it happened over a parking spot. That is how ugly bitterness, anger, raging, brawling, and slander can get. 
We don't want to clothe ourselves with that. Verse 32. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's imitate the way God treated us, okay? Kindness instead of bitterness. Tenderheartedness, compassion instead of raging. Forgiving instead of holding on to anger. And let's do it continually. All of these verbs are that continual present tense, continually. Keep on being kind. Keep on being compassionate. Keep on forgiving each other. Why? Let's read that last phrase together. Why? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. Because God has been kind, compassionate, and forgiving to you. Because God has once and for all forgiven you of all of your sins in Christ. So it's time for you to do for the body what God has done for all. We can learn to be kind and compassionate and forgiving as we look at how God does that for us. So when someone repents, when someone repents to you, however weak and, you know, however weak a, a repentance it was, we can resolve, you can resolve to never again bring that up again. Not, not, not to them, not to other people, and not even in your own minds. Because, because God has forgiven you and me even when our repentance was pretty shallow too. And until someone does repent to you, until, until they actually come forward to repent to you, maybe what we can do is, is give our desires for revenge over to God. He will ensure that justice gets done. He'll, he'll take care of all that stuff. But then in the meantime, we can ask him for the willingness to show mercy, for the willingness to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with that person. Because the God who should punish us in hell forever has forgiven us in Christ. A missionary, a missionary was once asked if he could forgive the violent men who shot and disfigured him in his face and then raped his wife in front of him. He replied, I can forgive them because my Father in heaven has forgiven me for so much more. You can forgive others because God has forgiven you through Jesus. We can forgive others because God has forgiven us in Jesus. So when we look at this text as a mirror, all right, when we're, when we're looking at this Bible text in front of you as a mirror, how are we dressed? How are we dressed? Are we clothed in the fashions of this world? Are we wearing dirty garments of darkened understanding that lead to immorality? Are we like chameleons, you know, trying to just blend into the world and imitate the world around us and kind of stay camouflaged so that we can avoid any predators? Or are we being renewed in our minds by God through his word? Are we putting the holiness of Jesus on in 
kindness and compassion and forgiveness and love. Friends, let's recognize what not to wear and get rid of it. What do you need to take off? What do you need to put on? Ask God to help you in changing so that you're no longer living like a a chameleon conforming to the culture around you, but as a Christian, conforming to Christ, the Christ who died in his love for you. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.